In the following live session recording, Susan Allen, minister to children, First Baptist Church, Statesboro, Georgia, discusses the habits of an effective teacher. Good teachers come in all shapes, sizes, ages, and personalities, but certain habits seem to separate effective teachers from those who are less effective. In this session, participants will learn skills that can move teachers from just okay to highly effective. Let's join Susan now. But first of all, I want you to take that um, index card and I want you to write on that index card ten names of children that you know. Think, and I know it's kind of Saturday morning, but try to think the names of ten children that you know. If you have a large area that you work in, you may have ten children that you actually are working with, but you may have to go beyond that classroom depending on the size of your setting. But um, just randomly just put down ten names. Okay, you got them? You got 10 names? I need you to have them before we start. Okay, now I need you to circle seven of those names. Just choose randomly seven of them and put a circle around them. an exercise you might want to consider doing when you get back home with your leadership, your peers or those that you lead or whatever, okay? Now I want you to place a star by two of the seven that are circled. Look at the seven that are circled and choose two of them and put a star by them. <clears throat> Okay, you've heard the statistics, but this makes it personal. <clears throat> According to research presented in 2014 in Christianity Today, seven out of 10 of the kids who grow up in church will leave after high school. So look at your list and think about, you know, seven of these kids are gonna be gone after high school. Five of the seven will eventually come back, and we're so grateful that we know that. It's as discouraged as we are about the first idea, knowing they do return to the church, you know, gives us a reason to praise. But the sad statistic is that two will never return. So your two starred ones will never return to the church. Does that change how we teach? we think about this is the only time it may be the only time we have to pour into these and they will be gone um, you know I, I hope that as we, if we make it personal and I hope you'll make it for your personal for your people when you get home to think about you know the statistics are one thing but when we realize this is reality it's our reality and I'm seeing it in my church and you're probably seeing it in your church that they're just gone and, and then some, when they have children, when they have babies, they return to their roots and they come back. But two of them out of ten are not going to come back. And so we're, as we're pouring into their lives, uh, God has given us a window, a moment in time. And if we're not looking at our teaching in a way that it impacts their lives in a way that is transforming, then... You know, 
God's going to hold us accountable for that. We have the responsibility to truly help them to find transformation, a true transformation, not just understand and hear stories. Now I want you to take your little paper cutout, your little people guy, and I want you to write the name of your favorite childhood teacher or leader. Your favorite teacher there. Could be church, it could be school. Just put the person that's favorite. But everybody's got one. I, I, mine, um, I had a lot of wonderful teachers, but one that really stands out for me was uh, my sixth grade school teacher because she read to us every day. That's my memory of her, is that every day when we came back from lunch, she would pull up her little stool and she'd pull out a book that was just a fun book and she would read to us. And I loved that and I can see it in my mind's eye as if it were yesterday and it was clearly not. Uh, but I don't, that endeared her to me um, that she, I, I guess it was, I mean, I don't think it was the fact that she read. I loved to read and I loved books, but I don't think it was that. I think it was her just spending time with us and just doing something that it wasn't work. We just sat and just soaked it in, you know? So, so share with your neighbor. Why did you choose the person you chose? What is it about that person? Find, get, get close enough to somebody that you can share um, who you chose and why. Okay, so what what is what you got out there? Somebody share. Okay, Connie's got a good one. She has to share. Well, I put down Mary Helen Carr. She was a piano player at the first church I went to. My parents took me and dropped me off, but uh, during church service, you know, we didn't have air conditioning back then. Uh, I would sit on the piano pew with. Uh, and fan her while she played. Love it. <laughs> and then during service, when the preacher preached, she didn't get up and move. She stayed on the piano, and she'd sit there with her arm around me oh. while I was at church. And then somebody else would take us on. Wow. Neighbors or something. Wow. We can learn from that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big time. You made me remember, um, and I, I was struggling with a Sunday school teacher, and that reminded me that. Um, I had one, my dad was the preacher and my mom was in the choir. And uh, I got a funny story about that. My dad one day, the choir was behind him in that church and, and um, the, the youth choir was singing and my mom was their leader and she was back there with them and they were giggling and laughing. There was some giggling and laughing and so my dad finally just stopped and he said, with whoever is causing the you know, problem in the choir, please excuse yourself. And my mother got up and left. <laughs> she had gotten tickled and couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> so, but because they were both in leadership, there was a Sunday school teacher that I sat with every Sunday, and she always had lifesavers. And uh, she always had those for me to eat during church. And, um, and she just passed away about a year ago, and I would go back to that community occasionally for things and see her and had such a fondness for her. Her. And and that relationship, that warmth. I, I remember the last time I saw her, we were at a 
visitation at a funeral home. And I, I couldn't wait to take my husband over to meet her uh, and say, this is Miss Ruby I've talked about, you know. And so, you know, those things really, really make a difference when they seek us out. And especially in your case where you were dropped off, somebody folded you in and took care of you. What's another one? I had Miss Parrish. Um, she was my senior year art teacher. I, I was blessed to go to a very small private school where 90% of our teachers were just ladies, really. And um, so they offered that school But she especially, because like I was telling them, I was no artist enough to be worse. Some of us were better than others. But she made me go into the events. You know, that, oh, that's perfect. That's like worth a million dollars. You know, she just made you feel good about yourself all the time. And we talked about that, those of you who were here last night, we talked a lot about that. What a difference that makes in our lives when somebody says just the smallest little thing that makes you feel good about yourself. Okay, what else? My first grade teacher, um, the thing I remember about her, two things. One, we had the Dick and Jane books. Anybody else grow up on Dick and Jane? And um, so she would, like, leave treats. We would come back to our room after recess, and there would be treats from Dick and Jane had left for us or things like that. And so she made that come alive. She made that world come alive for me, and I loved it and probably gave me my love of reading. But um, she also, we our, our school it was open to the outside, you know, the hallways. It was not a hallway. It, the door opened to the outside. And so sometimes the wind would blow and it would make the wind open, just kind of like the store was, just to cover it. And all, every time she would say, and I was five years old when this, but I can hear her in my uh, mind right now, come in, Mr. Wind. She said it every time. And so guess what I say now when the wind, when a door opens like that? Come in. Come in, Mr. Wind. You know, it is there. It is there permanently. Um, She would have, I never saw her again. We left that community and I never saw her again. But I know her name. I can see what she looks like. And I I don't remember a lot of things. I do remember that one time she did take a ruler and made me hold my hand like this and spank (laughs) her because Susan talked entirely too much. I know you find that a surprise. But um, I got in trouble for talking, and I got my hand hit with a ruler. But it didn't keep me from loving her. I love her, and I have the sweetest memories of her. You know, the things that we remember and that stand out tend to be what they said to us. Um, I don't know, did anybody really remember what they taught you? That's not what generally we remember. We remember how they made us feel, the kind of things they said, how they treated us. Um, and so, you know, as we, as we teach and as we pour the gospel in, we obviously want them to get that. But the way in which we do it and the love that we show and exude as we do that is what really, really matters. Well, now I need you to kind of look around, kind of bend over a little bit, and I need y'all to pick up these little mirrored tiles that are under your seats and um, find group up with somebody, uh, pair up or group up. And I, um, these are some, yeah, just hold on to them. Um, and if you can share, if, if, y'all, if y'all could kind of share them with some that don't have Okay, I'm going to share mine first because this is the most critical one. The the gospel-centered leader has experienced gospel transformation. And we think, 
you know, well, that kind of goes without saying. You know, doesn't everybody know that? Well, you think sometimes we just throw somebody in a place and ask them to serve, and they maybe have not experienced gospel transformation? I think it happens. So, you know, they may be playing church. Well, they may feel like they sincerely have, but they don't realize it. They don't realize what they don't have. Right. So that puts a lot of responsibility on our shoulders within our churches to be sure that our leaders, you know, and, and maybe, you know, sometimes this happens a lot in Bible school. People say, oh, I just want to go. I just want my friend to come help, you know. And, and so, you know, it's okay if you do that, if you put, if you pair them with a very strong gospel-centered leader. You know, it may rub off. They may figure it out in the process. But they got to be paired with someone, and the, and the strength of that class has to be coming from the one who is experienced transformation. You know, can they be a little helper over in the corner? Absolutely. And are people reached by that? Are people changed and transformed by that? Yes. But every lead teacher needs to be somebody who has experienced a full gospel transformation in their own lives and is able to to give out of the overflow of that. So that's got to be the first. I think, Nancy, I want to say I gave you one, yes, and that's the next one. Can you read it? Accept the call. Accept the call. You know, is everybody who's teaching in Sunday school at the church, do you think they feel God called? You hope they do. You hope they do. Yeah, and some people will do things like, um, I'll teach in three-year-old Sunday school because I have a three-year-old, but they don't have any calling to it. And sometimes we have to settle for what we get because we got to have a warm body in the room. But I wonder if that's because we're not relying on the Holy Spirit enough to help us to get to the right people. You know, we're desperate. We've all been there. We all live there. <laughs> and, and we're just like, oh, good, she'll go in there. Yay, I've got that classroom covered. But is that going to give us what we need? Are the children going to be learning from a leader? And so we want to make sure that, you know, as much as we, we want them to have accepted the call, that they are led to do that. Okay, who's got another one they'll share? That's a big one. It is a big one. Because if, if you do something, you got to But I feel like even in the small church which I'm in, if you volunteer to be the teacher and you put in the effort well enough to teach, then even if you don't have somebody there, you have Absolutely right. And we talked last night, and some of you were here, and some of you weren't, and you missed that conference. Sorry about that. But um, the um, one of the things we talked about is how we can do a little bit every day. And we were just talking about that out in the break time earlier, that we've known teachers to get overwhelmed with that idea of there's got to do something every day, but just a tiny little bit. You know, you're just going to eat that elephant one little bite at a time. And so on Sunday, you're going to go ahead and read your scripture for the next week. And then along about, you know, what was that, Tuesday, I think uh, we were 
Um, on Tuesday, we were actually looking at what supplies we would need so we could go ahead and be gathering our supplies and all. Wednesday, we were praying for every child in our classroom. So we're not talking about major amounts of time. We're just talking about letting it permeate our lives all throughout the week so that by the time we've kind of marinated in it all week and the Holy Spirit's had the opportunity to work in our hearts and reveal what He wants us to know about that scripture before we ever even think about getting to leading the children. So, so, But it, it takes effort. And sometimes we're not honest about that. I said that last night. So we're not always honest with people when we ask them to serve. We're like, you know, I need you to teach Sunday school. And, you're, and their interpretation of that is I will be a warm body in that room uh, for 45 minutes to an hour. But we're not honest to say what we really are asking you to do is to be to take that transformation you've experienced and be ready to share it with others. And because of that, you're willing to pray for those children. You're willing to minister to those families. You're willing to get to know them and have a relationship with those people. And we're wanting you to you know, prepare above and beyond, not just what you can throw together on Saturday night, which I bet everybody's been guilty of at some point, um, you know, but, but truly have spent that week preparing. So putting forth the effort is important. What else do we want to do? Encourager. Encourager. An encourager. What do you think that means? The life of the Sunday school. I have a family in my church that the grandmother lived with them and she passed away understand what they thought and maybe change, you know, give them another little thought. And, but every Sunday, I'm still, I know they're all still hurting. Mama, you know, the uh, daddy doesn't come, but the mama comes and, you know, always encourage them, how are you doing, how was your week? Because I know that they're going through a struggle. Yeah, so. yeah. And, and those parents need encouraging, you know, and they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> they're clueless. And they know less about what they're doing than what we knew. If we were raised in a Christian home, we had parents who modeled. Um, I can remember one of my memories of early childhood is riding in the car with my parents and there being a beautiful sunset. And my mother said, what a beautiful picture God painted. So guess what I say to my grandchildren today? Look what a beautiful picture God painted. But if we don't pass those things down, those are the simple things that help our parents know how to weave it into their lives as they're going about their lives, um, as they're, you know, like we were told to do as parents, to to put it on the doorpost of our homes, to let it just permeate all we do. They don't know how to do that. But we can teach them and we can model for them how to do that. So um, we encourage them. Encourage them. We might send them one little thing. We might say, we might send them an email and say, uh, you know, I'm excited about, um, how, uh, you know, how things are going in Sunday school and we studied this. And this week, talk to your child about what, you, what we talked about in Sunday school. We talked about this. This is something you can talk with the child about. And just give them little tiny tools. They're overwhelmed with life aren't we all? And we all have too much on our plates, so we just need to give them little nuggets to help them and be encouragers to the parents and to the children. What you got? Commitment to the mission of kids' ministry. So, what's that mean? That is... 
environment may be beautiful, the games may be fun, You know, we're blessed here. We've got a very nice building. Mm-hmm. You know, there are churches that have better and bigger and bolder and mm-hmm. brighter and all that. But but we're blessed far above many, many churches and what they have. But it doesn't matter. If, we, if we're not making a difference in transformation in their lives, it doesn't matter that we can buy the latest, greatest, you know. Um, so, so, good point. All right. Another one. Power. You got power. Say about that. What do y'all think? Empower. How, how as a Sunday school teacher would you be an empower? Well, you do it by your actions. You show them how they can. You show them how they can go out in the world and still proclaim Jesus. Right. Do you? Do you? How do you? How do you think you do that? You think? stories about what you've experienced during the week. You know, I, they don't they don't need to think our lives are easy and perfect. You know, even a, even just a small four-year-old four can identify with, you know, my Sunday school teachers had a hard week, and this is what's gone on, but this is how God, this is how Jesus has been with her this week. And they hear those stories, and you know what? If I have something I want somebody to pray about, I want a four-year-old praying for me. Because <laughs> it, it has not entered their mind that God is not going to answer that prayer. You know, now we don't play, pray with that much power for some reason. I don't know why, because we've certainly seen God act, and we know He does. But we lose that. But that four-year-old... Wow. <laughs> you know, that's who you want praying for you. So, But they need to hear us tell. You know, not the... I've had teachers that went too far and right. told them too much. You know, I mean, you know, they're four-year-olds. Come on, let's get real. But, but letting them know that Jesus is working in your life, and this is how he worked in my life this week. How is he working in your life? You know, last week in Sunday school, we talked about this. Did you, did you, were you able to put any of that in practice? I told last night that I saw one of my mothers this week. I was so proud of her because she told, she had a picture of her child and she said, I'm going to brag on my child. And she said, today my child realized that there was a child upset on the playground. She went over to the child and asked him what was wrong. The child said everybody was making fun of her and nobody wanted to be with her. And she said, well, I'll be your friend. Will you come be with me? And so she was so proud of her child, and she told her, and she told the whole world. You know, and then all of us responded with, oh, my goodness. I mean, that is gospel transformation. Right. That is that child understanding that she can make a difference in her world on that little playground. We talk about that with the children every week, but we don't need to underestimate what that really means. You know, I, don't, I go into the schools a lot, and I try to have an impact in our elementary schools, but, you know, I can't even get around to all of them. I've got a stack that high of kids want me to come have lunch with them, and I'm thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get them all done before the school year's out, you know, but, you know, I can just have such a small impact on their lives at school, but they're missionaries. I don't know if y'all saw one thing we've got on the wall out here, one of my ladies made for me, is um, our mission field. 
and our mission field for this floor is our elementary schools. And, our, and so we've listed where, what is our mission field, and it's the name of the schools of the, that our children attend. And so, you know, we need to empower them. You are a missionary. Uh, one of the things we do is I give them two pencils every year. The, first, the Sunday before they go back to school, I give them two pencils that, are, that have our logo on them. And I tell them, I said, this is a gift because we want you to know that we're praying for you because we, we know it's a big deal going back to school. And we're going to be praying for you, and we want you to have this pencil that you can use when you go back to school, and it will remind you that your Sunday school teachers, your you know kids minister, we're all praying for you this week. But I'm going to give you a second pencil because I want you to be a missionary in your school. And there's going to be somebody, and I want you to pray about it. God, you right now you'll tell me I'm just going to give it to my sister. I mean, I've heard that several times, you know, or you know, uh, my next door neighbor or whatever. And there's no thought. I'm like, no, I want you to pray about it because the Holy Spirit will tell you who needs this pencil. And sometime and it, you may hold on to it for a while, or you may give it on the first day of school. But there's going to be somebody that you're going to say, "Hey, I want you, I want you to have my this pencil. I want to tell you about my church, and I want to invite you to my church." And you know, you're going to realize there's kids out there that they don't go to church, they don't go to Sunday school like you do, and you have an opportunity to invite them because guess what? You're we're sending you out as missionaries to your elementary school, and, and so that. You know, Empowers them to go out and be a light where they live. And quite frankly, I think they can achieve a whole lot more than we can. They're right there, and God can use them in mighty ways. It's all over the carpet. It's pretty sad. Okay, who's got another one? And a quiver. Oh. and we haven't figured out, well, what does this mean for me this week? We, we, we've missed a lot because then they don't know how to put it into practice that week. You know, I, this board to me has um, it's impacted my ministry in the last few years in a big way because as I watch what's happening in our world, I realize our children are going to face things we have never even thought of facing. And honestly, I don't even know how to face them. I don't know. I know I'm not equipped to face. You know, I didn't. I didn't go through what they're gonna, what they're already going through, and even more so what they're going to go through. So I'm telling my parents, and I'm not sure how they all feel about it, but I'm telling them we gotta quit coddling them. We gotta quit sheltering them. They're gonna have to live in the real world, and we gotta get them ready. You know, and they'll say to me, you know, you know, she's asked Jesus to her heart, and. Um, you know, but she's real scared about going down down front and all that. And I'm like, I get it. And this is a big church to walk down in front of. You know, I get that. And we're going to try to make it as easy as we can for you. But somewhere along the line, we got to say to them, you need to stand up for Jesus. If you're ready to take that step and make that stand, we're going to applaud you as you do that. But I really, I really discourage my parents from walking down with them. I'm like, follow closely, but let them take that first hard step. You know, you've ever taken that step? You know how hard that first step is? You know, let them take that hard step without you. See if they can do it. And and let them see how many steps they can take. And then you're behind. We're not going to leave them out there hanging, poor things, you know. But after they do it, we say, how did you do that? 
Holy Spirit helped you do that. You, you now have something living in you that helps you to do what you don't think you can do. Well, it's, you know, you, you think that was really, really hard to do that. I'll tell them, I'm like, you know, I know you're scared of doing it and you think it's going to be really hard, but I want you to be able to do it on the ball field where nobody's going to say, boy." You know, I want you to do it at recess at school where nobody's going to applaud you, where somebody's going to kind of bully you and make fun of you for doing it. If you take a step for Jesus here in this church, we're just going to be cheering. You're going to have all these people. And I say, I tell them, I'm like, every little old white-haired lady in this church is going to come hug you, and I'm going to be the first one in line, you know, and just get over it. That's what's going to happen. But that's going to be the worst thing that happens to you when you do that. But when you go out and do it in the world, it's going to be a different story. But what's going to happen is you're going to realize Jesus helped me do that at church. He's going to help me do it in the hard places too. So I think, you know, we're at that point where we have to do that or they're not going to be ready. You know, they're just going to run and hide because we haven't prepared them for the battlefield that they're going to have to face. And I wish we weren't living there. You know, somebody said yesterday, we were kidding about security and all, and um, and somebody said, you know, I just, I wish we weren't living there. I said, oh, yeah. And when I started my ministry, we didn't worry about security. You know, nobody ever thought about having a security pass to pick up their child or any of those things. It just wasn't a part of it. But it's the world we live in today. We've got to be real. And we've got to do the things that we need to do to keep our kids safe. We gotta, but, we, you know, but we've also got to prepare them to be able to stand up for Jesus in the real world. And we're not doing them a favor if we don't. What's another one? Word of missionary, you think about how to do it themselves. They do not know how to be a missionary. I mean, there's a few that do, but the majority of them do not know how to take Jesus into their neighborhoods and into their workplaces. So they don't know how to help their children do it. So you need to give them tools. Now, that's another phase of my ministry that I've changed. You know, there was a day when I would have said, bring your kids up here and we're going to load them on a bus and we're going to take them to the nursing home. Well, you know, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But what I'd rather do today is say, hey, and we're going to give you a name of somebody in a nursing home. And we want you as a family, you as a family, go visit this person in the nursing home. I want you involved in ministry as a family. I don't want to take your kids and take them on mission. I want to help you have the tools you need. I'll give you what you need. We'll come up with something cutesy you can do or take or whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll plan it, and we'll help you to be able to be successful at it. But we want you to do it. We want you as families to do it. It's so important that they can do it together and be on mission as a family. So, What else we got out there? Strives for excellence. Comments? Um, 
seen a teacher who is excellent at school, and you know she's an award-winning teacher, but at church she just kind of throws it together. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, of all places, you, you give your best, you know, but you just kind of, you know you can pull it off, you just kind of hang it all out there and just kind of throw something together. But, you know, of all, you know, where you're here to, to teach God's Word, you know, strive for excellence, give it the best you can. You not, You may not feel capable, you may not feel gifted, but guess what? God's called you to do it. He's going to equip you with everything you need to be what you need. Thanks. Uh, growing in the gospel. Basically, if you're not... Absolutely. We can't give what we don't have. I, I, I tell my children, and I, when I talk to them about when they're coming to talk to me about asking Jesus to their heart, I'll talk to them about how we have a ball field and we kind of run the bases and all. But I'll tell them, you know, all in the all between these bases, you're growing, and you're going to grow forever. And I, and I tell them the story that, and I don't know why this impacted me like it did. But when my husband's grandmother died, we went um, went to Macon, and my husband was going to do her service. And so we went over to her house, and that family was not there. And so we just went in by ourselves and went into her house and went to her living room. And there was that chair where she always sat, you know, grandmama's chair, where she, it was her chair. And, you know, so in there beside her chair, and she was in her 90s, and she had been a Christian since she was a child. But next to her, next to her chair was her Bible, her well-worn Bible and her Sunday school lesson and, and all the things that she was doing to continue to grow. And I'm like, you know, this lady was in her 90s, which, you know, they can't hardly fathom. You know, and I'm like, she's older than me. You know, she was, but, she, but she was still growing. She'd been a Christian for a long time, but she recognized right up to the day when she went to be with Jesus that she needed to still be growing in the Word. So we need to help them understand that, that it's a lifelong process and that we are doing it. And we should, we share that, that we are growing and how we're growing and what we're learning. That we, don't, we haven't figured it all out. We've not arrived. Got one more? Yeah, I have a good learn. All right. And I love that y'all are here today because that indicates that you are. Well, you see kind of what's happening up there on the wall? It's a cross, but there's something else about it. Characteristics of the gospel-centered leader. We're a reflection of Jesus. So, you know, as people look at you and as you lead, are they seeing a reflection of Christ? Are you reflecting that in all that you do? Are you striving to be a reflection of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Christ? That's our goal, that as we look at that cross and we think about all these things that, whew, wow, none of us can measure up to, but all the things that we need to be to be gospel-centered leaders, do are we, in the end, are we reflecting Jesus? Kids will know it if we do. And they'll know it if we don't. Okay? I need you to kind of get into, I need about, I think I need six groups. 
Well, before you move, let me tell you these things. We're going to look at some Bible stories. Some of those stories that you have told over and over and over and over again. And I want, I'm going to give you some assignments of some stories. And I want you to talk about those stories in your little groups. And in that, I want you to think about what is God doing for his people in this story? Say, so you have the story of Noah. What is God doing for his people in this story? And what does God do for us, only better, in Jesus? And then how does believing this good news change how we live? So these are the three things that we want to do with our stories. So that we're not simply telling a story and say, wasn't that a neat story about Noah and I just love the rainbow and isn't that pretty? That's not what it's about. It's about seeing what is God trying to accomplish? What is he wanting us to learn? And how does it change our lives? So if y'all can get into one, two, three, four, five, six, seven groups. I'm not sure how many are in here. Maybe part maybe pairs. Um, yeah, it's going to have to be pairs. Some of you may want to take, you may want to work together as a three and have two. So, um, kind of talk just briefly about these stories and what you think, uh, how you would answer those questions. You've got those questions on your handout. You were able to fill in the blanks. What is God doing for His people in this story? You've got those on your handout, and that'll help you to see what you're trying to do with your story. What is God doing for his people in this story? What does God do for us, but only better, because he's still doing it now. He's doing it tomorrow. When you go to school, he's going to be doing this for you. How does he do that in Jesus now? And how does believing the good news change how we live? We're not going to have time to go through all of these, but I want if you feel like you want to share yours, I would want us to look at a few of them and just see what we can learn. Anybody want comfortable to share? Dana and the lights together. We face a lot of stuff, and I know they will. God protected Daniel when nobody else could. These kids watch a lot of stories. They watch a lot of TV. They see a lot of stories. And when the story's over, the story's over. That was a cool story about Daniel. Wasn't that a cool thing? But is that what the point of the story is? Is it about Daniel? No. Who's it about? It's about God. But sometimes I think we don't get there. I think sometimes we don't get that far. We stop with, whoa, that was awesome. You know what God did? And, and we leave them with that picture in their mind but what what we want to leave in their minds is what God did today look what God did today and can God do this for me you know if my mom is dying of cancer is God going to be there for me if my mom and dad are going through a divorce and they're hollering at night and I can't sleep because they're yelling and I'm scared and I'm worried about what's going to happen. Is God going to be there for me? So, you know, great. That's a great illustration of that. They can relate to that if we go there. If we get all the way there and go, God can be this for you. This is really not about Daniel. 
we want you to know about Daniel. We want you to know the story of Daniel because it tells us God was there for Daniel, but boy, God's here for us every day, and he's going to be there for you tonight and tomorrow morning. And so carry it all the way. What's another illustration of that? Somebody that God raised up uh, to fight for his people and he made some terrible decisions, some poor decisions, and yet God's still able to use it. Wow. So. Wow, I got chill bumps, you know? Is that you and me? <laughs> we mess up, you know? We just don't, you know, we make wrong decisions, we do wrong things, but God can still use us. He wants to use you. So it's not about that guy. But it's about you and maybe how you're feeling like I've already messed up. I already have bad, I already made a lot of bad choices. You know, you think about an 11-year-old boy and what he's already experienced in life. You may have some kids sitting in your classroom that feel like I have already blown it. You know, but what does the story of Samson tell us? Nah, it's never too late. God is a God, a redeeming God. God is a forgiving God. God can use us no matter what. Uh, he can get another one. Isn't it exciting to think about it like that? Joshua and Derek, they talked about that one. Save the people. They had to be willing to do what God wants them to do. And God was faithful, protected them. And... Uh, Boy, it took a lot for him to convince everybody that what Trump is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of these people, they came off as kind of crazy, didn't they? Yeah. I, I love that about yeah. Noah. I, that, that's my favorite one, is I think about Noah's kids, and I always try to help the kids think, what, it, what would it have felt like to have been Noah's sons? You know, and everybody in town is saying, your daddy is crazy. <laughs> you know, and what, how, how did that feel, you know? And and they can relate to that. And so help them to get that feeling. I, I love to do um, picture posing for that reason. I don't know if you've done picture posing or not, but those wonderful old pictures we used to get. The night, you probably got a thousand somewhere in the basement of your church somewhere. But take that picture and... Um, you know, say, okay, everybody be somebody. My, I love to do the cross, you know, and, and we've got the three crosses, and somebody's, you, who are you going to be? You're going to be married. You're going to be the room of the guards. You, everybody get what you're going to get. You stand, just like that guy in the picture standing. And then when you get everybody placed, they, now think about, how would it felt? How do you think that person felt? It's kind of quiet. How do you think it felt to be her? How do you think it'd be, you know, and then carry them to, so what does God want us to know as a result of this? What does he want us to learn? we got to go all the way through the process, but sometimes we just don't get there. We don't get all the way through it. Anybody else got one they just dying to share? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know, the Bible teaches, some of the stories are crazy. Yeah, I mean, they're just, they're, and, and the world can't believe them because they don't know our God and they just can't imagine. And so what we could do as we look at these stories is we could teach them how to behave. We could say, I'm going to make sure these kids come out being kids that know how to behave, they know how to trust, they know how to listen. We could teach them good morals. We can even help to modify their behavior because of the lessons they have learned through these stories. 
we could teach them all the do's and don'ts, and we could raise little Pharisees. We all know what that means. Who try, strive to keep every little knit and tell, cross every T and dot every I of the law. We could tell them to be brave like David or to have faith like Noah. And their behavior might change for a little while. But lasting modification is a result of a love born out of our desperation and God's provision. And somewhere we've got to get to that desperation. And that's hard with children. And I've had parents say to me, my child, you know, he, he's asked Jesus to start. He's ready to, you know, and I'm like, you know, do they, re- do they realize they need a Savior? Do they realize they're a sinner? Well, no. And I'm like, do they realize they're lost? Well, no, but they can't understand that. They don't understand enough yet to understand that. I'm like, they have to understand that. They have to understand that they're lost without a Savior. They have a need that is not being met. And guess who can meet it? Only Jesus Christ. He's the only one can meet that. And then they are transformed from inside. They're not trying to do good because that favorite Sunday school teacher said, this is what you're supposed to do, follow all the rules. And then one day they mess up and they don't know what to do with it. Because they're like, you know, I've messed up. What do I do now? You know? So we've got to teach kids in a way that they get that. We've got to look at it um, through the lens of the gospel. Um, What we tend to do is take the Daniel and the lion's den story and we just pour it in. We take that Samson story, we pour it in the bucket. What is a bucket made to do? Hold things. David and Goliath, man, we got, we, we've been teaching, we got three Sundays down. We've, we're getting these stories. We've got Noah in the heart and we're going to pour that into the bucket. Joshua and Jericho, there it goes. And they're holding it in their bucket. But that's not what we want. We don't want to be a bucket where they just hold these stories. And they're just a reservoir of unbelievable information. I, I say my husband is just, he's, he's just got this awesome ability to have this, all this um, useless information. <laughs> just full of it. He, just, he, you know, he can just tell you anything about anything. He's just got all this whatever. But, you know, it's, it's no good, you know. That's not all he has, but it's one, one little story, part of the story. But what we want them to do is like pipes coming out. But as these stories go in, they're filtered through, and then they, it's flowing through their lives. And I'm going to stop. Y'all get the picture. I'm going to stop at that for time. But then... Goes and it pours through them so that it affects their life, but then it pours. What happens with the pipe if you pour water into the pipe? It just comes, runs through. So it's going to run through them and out around to the world. So where's it going to run? Yeah, we got time. Where's it going to run at school? I'm going to give y'all these, and I want y'all to talk a little bit about how is it going to So now the teaching you have done is not only affecting the children in your classroom, 
but where is it going? The stories that you have told on Sunday morning, it's, it's gone through the pipe now. It's come out of that bucket, and it's going through the pipe. It's flowing through their life, and it's flowing out. And where is it flowing to, and how is it going to impact those places? To the world, to the world, and their school, when they go to school, when they go to birthday parties, everywhere they go. What are some specific, specific places on your buckets? Hobbies. Hobbies? Hers is clubs. Clubs they go to? In the home. Whoa. Whoa, yeah. Neighborhood. Sports. So then, we're not going to take the time to put them all up, but then what you have you feel like it's a little more worth your time to teach now? Because not only are you pouring something in, but this is going to be going all out and to the uttermost parts of the world possibly. You know, as they grow and they understand their place in the world and their calling upon their lives, suddenly the time you spend preparing to teach that Bible lesson has gone out and it may be across the waters, maybe across the world. And it may be that you, through your Bible teaching, have impacted thousands of people. You know, you think about somebody like, who taught Billy Graham? You know, you you just, you go back to, you know, what a difference God can make in the end result. Well, then we've got to realize that part of that is that we want to be working beside gospel-centered parents because uh, we recognize that we can't do it all. And God didn't ask us to do it. God put that responsibility on the shoulders of the parents. And so, we want to pray that the parents have experienced true gospel transformation themselves. So, when you have your... We talked last night about maybe Wednesday might be the day that you make sure you pray for every child in your classroom. So when you pray on Wednesday, you're not just praying for the children in your classroom and for their behavior and for, you know, all the things that they're experiencing in life, but you're praying for the gospel transformation of their parents because if that can happen in their home, that your efforts are just a drop in the bucket to what they will experience with the impact of their parents in their home. And then you want to pray, you want to partner with the leaders of the adults. You know, you're not in it all by yourself. Somebody is the Sunday school teacher or the parents. Are you working together? Are you seeing how you can help them to do a better job of what they're doing and how they can help you and you can partner together because if you can partner, everybody's stronger in the end. So you're partnering with them. You're being a champion of families. Somebody mentioned a while ago that one of the things I like to do when babies are born and I go to the hospital and meet with them and have prayer with them. And I, I love to get a picture of me holding that little baby. And I, I post it on Facebook with their permission. And, and don't put a family name. I don't ever put the last name of the family. I just put the child's first name and the parent's first name. And uh, that's, that's one of the little things I do to try to champion families, to celebrate families. But then also, can we, 
keep doing those little things to help them do the very best. Sometimes we get real critical of families. And we're like, our family's just, eh, I mean, I've heard it this weekend. You know, you don't understand the church I'm at. It's like, da 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 but we need to champion families. We need to help them be their very, very best, and we need to be their biggest cheerleaders in that journey as they guide their children. And so we need to equip the parents, and nobody ever told you that when you signed up to be a Sunday school teacher that you were gonna be equipping the parents, but you are. In just little ways that you equip them to be the very best they can be, and then you're gonna be encouraging families to live out the gospel. Isn't that exciting? Well, more, more exciting to me than just showing up on Sunday morning and teaching a lesson. So, as we come to the close, I want you to look at that mirror wall and think about where you are in that and are you a reflection of Christ in all that you're doing. I want you to take out your little people person again where you wrote your favorite teacher's name. And I want you to write your name next to her name. You're the one that's now going to carry on that. And, you know, if I were to come stand here and... 20 years, would somebody write your name on their paper doll? That you were their favorite teacher because you shared Jesus with them. Then I want you to turn your paper doll over on the back. You're not almost through. And I want you to print in all caps, all capital letters, Jesus. Because that's what we're doing. We're not teaching curriculum. We're guiding children to know Jesus in a personal way. When I ask you today, will you make the commitment to be someone's favorite childhood teacher? You probably already are. But God can use you in a mighty way in the days to come. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for using us. We really don't know why you chose us, but we feel honored. We feel humble. We feel inadequate. Sometimes we feel tired. But God, we just thank you for the opportunity that we have to impact the boys' and girls' lives with a true transformation of the gospel. Help us to be true to our calling. Help us to be faithful. Give us everything we need, as we know you will. And we'll be, we commit ourselves to being what you call us to be in their lives to be truly gospel-centered teachers in the lives of boys and girls in the days ahead. For us in your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank y'all so much.